Good day, folks. My name is John, and I want to say thanks for taking the time to download, listen to, click on this podcast or broadcast. You humble me with your considerations. You humble me in taking the time to listen to the thoughts that I have. You humble me in listening to what I have to say. It has been said that God is love. And indeed, this is true. When the Apostle Paul spoke in his letter, giving us the attributes of God, he was conveying a message to us. He was telling us certain attributes that we oftentimes overlook in the considerations of God, and especially the considerations that were overlooked about God during that time. God is love, and this is true. And the Apostle Paul gave us a a list, and in no means a comprehensive list, but a list nonetheless. And it seems to me that today, in 21st century America, that list has been all that God has been relegated to, that God is love. In fact, it's not even the list that God is relegated to, but instead, the sentence that God is love. We've turned around and we've said, love wins. And to be sure, love did win 2,000 some odd years ago. On a cross, place called Golgotha, the place of the skull where the Romans executed men for crimes against the state. And of course, the Messiah Yeshua of Nazareth committed no crime. And we talk about love in such a silly fashion. It's very juvenile how we approach it. We tend to think of love in the context of these wishy-washy, sappy high school romance novels. We think of love as some tripe romantic comedy that we never stop to consider that love comes in many different forms. I love my wife. I love my wife very much so. However, I do not love my wife the way that I love you, and certainly I don't love you the way I love my wife. Though to be sure, I do love my wife in some ways that I might love you in a basic human way. I cannot say that I love children or a child the same way that I would love my friend. And I love my mother very much so. But what a world it would be if I loved my mother the way I loved my wife. And yet today we think of God as love. So much in fact... When we think of love, we don't think of God in the paternal sense. We don't think of God 
in any other way other than this rather peculiar, eroticized, fetish way. I have heard some say that I love Jesus, but I was never in love with Jesus. Such a very peculiar thing to say, almost making the Messiah a boyfriend-type figure. And love has many attributes, and God is all of them. In fact, God is the archetype of all attributes. And it is interesting when we say that God is love, that that is the paragon of all that God is. Now, I said this last time, and you'll have to excuse me for taking a little bit more time in between these podcasts. Other matters drew my attention away. However, last podcast, I made a statement, and I realized upon re-listening to that podcast the interesting place that I had put myself and therefore it warranted some clarification. For you see, I do not view God only as this loving Valentine's Day creator, but instead I view God as the archetype of all archetypes. I view God as the God of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is who he is. And so when I say that it is a fault to view God simply as the paragon of all love, what I mean to say is that it is a fault to view God as I just said, this mushy Valentine's Day card figure. For God is more than that. He is more than that. To be sure, it is out of love that he created us. It is out of love that he died for us and sacrificed for, our, for, for us. And it has been said that if we are to maintain these ancient archetypes, that the woman is to be submissive to her husband, but the husband ought be sacrificing and lay his life down for his wife. And we do these things in order to preserve the ancient archetypes, the metaphors, the lessons that were learned and taught to us, those things that we came to understand and know to be true. And in that, we could also say that love hurts. Love is also sometimes suffering. Love is sometimes also sacrificing. For you see, Paul did not give us a comprehensive list of all of the attributes that love is. But he gave us a list that gave us a few things to think about and to talk about. And in no means and no way is God limited to this list. For you see, it is also written that God is just. God is just. God is justice. And we can say this to be sure to be true. Because it is written. In fact, all good things God is. Therefore, God is 
truth. God is justice. God is the law. God is order. God is many things. Yet, we only seem to focus on the one because it is the one that makes us feel safe the most. It is the one that makes us feel good the most. It is the one that gives us that happy, warm feeling inside. Indeed, love is important. I speak because I love the Lord. I speak because I love to proclaim the gospel. I speak. For many reasons. But in our Western thought, in our Western modality, everything must be nice and neat and categorized. It must be put together in a structure with absolute rigidity and absolutely no flexibility in its understanding. And as such... We do not understand just how much God is. He is love, and that is all he is. He is nothing more. He is just love. Well, yes, absolutely he is just love. I don't dispute this. But as I mentioned, the fetishization, fetishation, excuse me if I can't even save the word, the fetishizing of God Some might say that he is the sex god. Oh, yes. There is some eroticism. But if we do not understand the place in which it belongs, then we could make out God only to be an erotic figure. And this is not true. But if we look at God and we stop saying that God is love and solely focusing on that God is love, then we could sit down and look at some of the other attributes. And maybe, too, we could understand a little bit more about our creator. Maybe by understanding more about the creator, we, therefore, can understand more about ourselves. Why do we desire justice? Why do we desire truth? Why do we desire goodness? Why do we feel animosity when we are wronged? Why do we want to right crimes that have been committed? Why do we want to do these things? Because God is just. And we were made in the image and likeness of God. And like we discussed last time, like we discussed last time, sin is the chaos that breaks the laws and the rules of our existence and our reality, a reality and existence that was created for us to train us, to teach us to bring us up to understand our true nature, our true birthright. 
God is not a God who is forcing us to do anything. Not directly, at least. Instead, God is a God who created a system, who told us how this system works, how this system operates. God is a God who told us what is necessary for us to choose what is right and good. For God is right, and God is good, and God is just. God is patient. God does not need to boast. God is kind. And God assuredly gives back to those sometimes, who would do unto others negatively. However, generally speaking, God is far more compassionate and kind and merciful than we deserve. For if God gave back entirely that which we deserved, if he operated under an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, then we would not even be here to have this conversation, which is why God is compassionate, which is why do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is a law that we can all strive for. For you see, God would have us do good, and therefore God does good. God would have us be sacrificing, and therefore God sacrificed is self, of course. It is a curious thing, but we don't look at these other attributes. Instead, we want pithy sayings and sophisms, warm, fuzzy feelings that make us feel good about ourselves and our lot in life. Nobody wants to be unloved. Children demand to be loved. And it is only as we get older that more and more attributes must be acquired. We must understand further these other things that we need to exist and to perpetuate. We need to know how to be kind, compassionate, and merciful. All of these things God is. All of these things God has shown us how to be. But we never say God is just. Oh, to be sure, there are some groups of people out there who remind us that God is merciful, God is compassionate, And we hear these phrases uttered frequently. But in the Christian world, very rarely do we hear that phraseology being uttered. And why is that, I wonder? Could it be possibly 
that we have lost our way, that we are more concerned with getting people into the church with false teachings because we have this universal worldview that suggests that just because we are means that we ought to be welcomed. Indeed. It is a curious world that we live in. Comfortable. Believing that we are entitled to be and go and do anything we want and be accepted everywhere we go just for showing up at the door. If you love me, you will accept me. Here and now, come as you are, theology. I don't have to wear the nice clothes to the wedding. I don't have to make the effort to be presented pleasing in a pleasing manner. I don't have to do these things because love. You should love me as I am. However, I assure you, if you were invited to a black tie event, and somebody said to you, this is what is required of you to go, and you said to them, well, I've got a problem because I can't afford, then assuredly you probably would be dressed for the occasion. Some way. That is what the good master would do for his servants. But because we have such, a such an elementary understanding of love, we do not hold people to a standard. We do not hold them to accountability. We treat them as the entitled that they are, thinking that all you need is love. And it's no surprise that the majority of songs that we have in today's world focus solely on this one concept. Baby, I love you. Love me, baby. Love, love me, do. All you need is love. Well, sure, we do need love. But man, as it has been said, does not live on bread alone, but by every word of God. Every word of God. And we can expand upon that. We can indeed. For we do not just live on bread alone, but we also live on the water of life. We live because of faith. We live because of what we do. I cannot just sit here and be idle in my faith. I must do something. Proclaim. For that is what I have been commanded to do. I do not just sit in my room saying how good and faithful I am. And nor are you expected to do that either. To be sure, maybe the Lord might command you 
and put on your heart, I wish for you to meditate this day. Indeed, meditation is still doing. So when I say, and when I said, negative light, that we treat love as the paragon, this is what I mean. For God is love, and God is many things. And if all we do is focus on the one, we do not look at the rest. And we only get part of the story that is God. We only get part of the understanding that he is. We were never made to be perpetual infants. Much like we have the allegory of children. We grow up. We mature. We grow in understanding. We are not made to be perpetual babies. And as such, our understanding of love must too grow. Our understanding of all things must too grow. And in that, I wish to say thank you for taking the time to listen, to consider, to humble me, and honor me. Hear me when I say that I do love the Lord. But I also wish to please him, to make him happy, to be glorified by him. And I wish to know and understand all his attributes. And in that, be as Christ-like as possible. I will leave you with an interesting quote that those who profess to be Christians, those who profess to be disciples of the Messiah, in a sense, in a sense, are meant to become a living archetype, to be the Christ, metaphorically speaking, to be Christ-like for those who have not had the opportunity to see him firsthand. And perhaps that too is what is meant to be Christ-like. When you go out, when you love, when you do, when you judge, when you are just, when you are kind, compassionate, and merciful, you are the archetype. You are not the archetype of archetypes, but you are the archetype at that moment. So be good archetypes. Again, thank you for taking the time to listen. I appreciate your considerations. Until next time.
I bid you good day. And God bless.